This morning, God's Word comes to us from 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1. We're going to begin our reading at verse 8 and then read through verse 14 of this chapter. Second Timothy 1, beginning at verse 8. What we hear now is God's word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we have for the last several weeks together been talking about the glory of our salvation. We have talked about the necessity of salvation because we are fallen and sinful. There had to be payment made for our sins, a sacrifice for our sins. We talked about the nature of our salvation as expiation, the removal of sin, propitiation, the covering of God's wrath, reconciliation, restoring us to fellowship, and redemption, paying that price. And last time we talked about the extent of the atonement, that Christ came and died for absolutely each and every one of his own, fully paying the price for all of our sins. This morning, we are entering really part two of this series on salvation. We have been talking about the work that has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And I've used the analogy many times now, like a diamond, holding a diamond to its light and seeing the very facets of salvation. The work Christ has accomplished for us. Now we're going to change our focus just a bit and talk about not the accomplishment of our salvation, but the application of our salvation. The application of that accomplished work. How is it that these things come to us? And now changing the analogy just a bit, not like one diamond with various facets, But now we are going to look at the application of our salvation in various steps or stages. We refer to that as, uh, for those of you who like Latin phrases, we refer to that as the ordo salutis, 
Uh, kids, that just means the order of salvation. The way that God chooses to bring us to the glories of salvation in Him. And, and as with the first half of the series, so with the second half of the series, I'm relying heavily on the work of Professor John Murray in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Again, I recommend that book to you. Redemption Accomplished and Applied, a beautiful, a beautiful talking about the glories of our salvation, both its accomplishment and its application. What do we mean when we talk about the order of salvation? Isn't it just one thing that happens to us? Well, we see hints of the order of salvation in several texts of Scripture. We could look at a text like Romans 8, very familiar text, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now notice verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Calling and justification and glorification. We have something of a list here of the way in which God applies the work of salvation to us. And there's an obvious order in that list. Uh, the last in that list is glorification. Kids, this is when our God takes us to be with Him and we become what we are in principle now, we become in practice, that glorified state in God's presence. Well, of course, that's the end of the process. It wouldn't, we wouldn't begin there. That's the end. And we have the, uh, the notion of calling and justification. Of course, God is going to call those first before He justifies them. There's something of an order of the application of salvation calling, justification, and glorification. We think of some of the other steps in our application of salvation. We think of the work of faith and repentance. Uh, these two often conjoined together. Would faith and repentance come before or after our justification? Well, we know that we are justified by grace through faith. Faith is the instrument of our justification. Therefore, faith has to come before justification, not after it. If it's the instrument of justification, faith comes before. How about the relationship of faith to the work of regeneration? Now, we know that faith is our embracing Jesus Christ, that glorious gift of God by which we embrace Him, would that act on our part come before or after being born again? Well, kids, you know that. You've got to be, be, be born before you can do anything. So regeneration has to come before faith. We have to be born before we can have faith in something. There is something of, of a biblical order in salvation, I would suggest the following. There is calling, regeneration, faith and repentance conjoined together, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Calling, regeneration, faith and repentance, justification, sanctification, and glorification. These are the things we're going to look at 
in the next several weeks together. And all of these bring glory to God for what He has done as He applies the finished work of Christ to our hearts and our lives. This morning we're going to talk about the first step, effectual calling, the call of the gospel. This is effectual calling. We're not talking about the general call of the gospel, the call that goes out to everyone. In the New Testament, almost, almost everywhere that the idea of calling is used, it is that effectual call, that particular call. Probably the biggest exception would be Matthew chapter 22. Many are called, but few are chosen. That's a reference to the general call of the gospel. Many are called, few are chosen. We're talking about the effectual call, the internal call of the gospel, the call of God to His chosen that they would put their faith in Him. This is the call referenced in Romans 8, uh, verse 30. Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. This is not the general call of the gospel. This is the particular effectual call. Those whom God calls, He justifies. Those whom He justifies, He glorifies. It is this call referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, this is not the general call. This is the particular effectual call. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, just one more uh, text on that particular call from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Calling linked with election, the particular effectual call of the gospel. This first step in the application of our salvation. When we talk about the effectual call, who is that call coming from? Who is that call going to? The call comes from God. Verse 9. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. When we talk about the effectual call, we're talking about God calling to us. And you say, well, that's fairly obvious if you just read, you know, the text of 2 Timothy. But it seems today we want to really change the focus of that. When it comes to the application of my salvation, isn't it about me calling to God? Isn't that the effectual call? That I call out to Him and He responds to my call. No, we are not the initiators of our salvation. We're not the initiators of the application of salvation. Salvation is first and last of God. It is He who calls to us and then calls forth the response. It is a call from God the Father. Now, we often think about the work of salvation as the work of the Son. 
And we talked about that in the first half of this series. He is the one who offered himself as a sacrifice of expiation. He is the one who was the propitiation, covering over God's wrath. But it is a call from God the Father. A call, a call from the Father to, to apply the work of Christ to those whom he has chosen. A call that was chosen already in the past. In eternity, God determined whom he would call as his own. From Galatians chapter 1, we read there Galatians 1.15, For when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. I was set apart before I was born. I was called by his grace. Father calls those whom he has determined will be his own, whom he has determined to elect to salvation. We could go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, this call not only reaches back, but reaches forward. Ephesians 1 verse 17. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That you might know the hope to which you have been called. This call brings our minds not only back to the past, that God the Father before time has called us, but he has called us for a hope in the future. The calling of God the Father. From our text, once again, verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, and brought to life and immortality to light through the gospel. The glorious work of God, the call. The call comes from him, the call comes from God the Father. What is the nature of that call? Well, it is an effectual call. We might use the word um, stronger than call. We might use the word summons. It's not like we get a phone call from God. God says, hey, you know what? I've been uh, thinking about salvation. I've been thinking about the finished work of Christ. I've been thinking about what he's done. And I'd like you to think about that too. It's not that type, not that type of call, like a phone call. It's more like a summons. Uh, a couple months ago, I received a little card in the mail. And I was summoned to jury duty. Now, you can't ignore that summons. You have to respond to that summons. Uh, it's more than just a phone call. Hey, why don't you stop by sometime? No, it's a summons. You have to respond. In fact, we might even use the, the strong word. It's like a subpoena. You must come and appear. That is the compelling nature of the effectual call. God does not come to us and say, you know what, uh, I've, uh, I've got this salvation that's been accomplished by Christ. Why don't you think about that? Why don't you think if you'd like a piece of that? God does not come and make an offer of salvation to us. No, he effectually calls us. 
And that call both necessitates and it empowers a response to the call. We are called to to respond to this glorious call from God the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Once again from the book of Romans, this time Romans chapter 4, verse 17. We read there, 4 verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom we believe, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God sends that call and he brings to life that which does not exist. We who were dead, unable to do anything, are brought to life. The call empowers us. It's an effectual call. It's a compelling call brought from death to life. It's a call in which God does not change his mind. When God calls us, summons us, subpoenas us to be his own, he will not change his mind tomorrow and say, no, I I don't think so. Romans 11, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What a wonderful assurance. His calling is irrevocable. When he calls and that effectual call empowers us to respond, God will continue to hold on to us. He will not let us go. Verse 12 from our text. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What had been entrusted to Paul? The gospel. And he says, God will guard that call all the way to the end. The truth of the gospel will not fail. God's calling is irrevocable. A calling to place our faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, the call comes from God the Father. But the call is to recognize the work of God the Son. This is what Paul says. The work of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolishes death and brought to life and immortality as a light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Paul was appointed to tell that truth, to give that general call of the gospel that God might use his spirit to give the effectual call of the gospel. He says that's the way it continues to go. Even today, God has the gospel declared generally that the Spirit might apply that call, particularly in verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Keep this pattern of faith. Guard this good deposit. Guard the truth of the gospel. Continue to declare that truth that the Holy Spirit may accompany the preaching of the word with the power of his spirit and effectually call each and every one that the Father has chosen to be his very own. This same encouragement that that was written so long ago by the Apostle Paul is applicable to us today. 
to continue to hold on to the truth of the gospel. That is where the power is. The power is not in persuasive ministers trying to woo you into salvation. The power is the declaration of the gospel, of what God has done, and the calling to put your faith in that Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. The effectual call of the gospel. And yet even in the church, it's so easy for us to to lose sight of that to lose the gospel in the church. Um, We've taught our kids this. I know I've said this from the pulpit many times. If God in his providence should uh, take you somewhere else, you have to move somewhere else and you're looking for a church, what is it you should look for primarily? Or perhaps more particularly, what should you listen for primarily? You should listen for the call of the gospel. You don't, first of all, listen to how beautiful the singing is. You don't, first of all, listen to how eloquent the prayers are. But you listen for the gospel. Is Jesus Christ and His saving power declared Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day? That's the effectual power of God to use that gospel message to call each and every one of his own. And so that's why, again, this morning, I say, put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've all heard the general call. And we pray that God, by his Spirit, might apply that call to your heart. And if you sense that is what is happening, then respond to God today. Place your faith. Place your hope and trust in Him and give Him the glory for that effectual call of the gospel at work in your life. God calls His own. He applies the finished work of Christ to each and every one, to each and every one of His own. And then finally, verse 9, He called us, saved us to a holy calling. What's the purpose for which we are called? And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We are called to a holy calling. We're called to a particular type of living. We refer to that as sanctification. We're going to talk about that several weeks from now, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on sanctification this morning. But just to notice, just to recognize that when that call of God comes, when that effectual call is used by Him that we might have our hearts enlivened and embrace Jesus Christ, it it does change our lives. There is a change that happens. You were called to a holy calling. The effectual calling changes us. Initially, it changes our hearts to embrace Jesus Christ, but it continually changes us in our lives. It changes us in our homes. It changes us in our relationships. We now no longer go back to those old sinful patterns in our relationships. But we, by the power of the Spirit, conform our ways to how God would have us live. It changes our relationships in the church. We are brought together as a family of God. When someone comes in, they are now part of the family. Things change. It changes the way we look even at the world around us, knowing that our God is in control. We don't have to fear. 
We don't have to be worried or anxious about the future. Our God, the same God who called us, is working his perfect plan out throughout his entire kingdom. We are encouraged in in our lives to walk in a particular way. And this morning, this morning in a very real and visible way, God reminds us of that. He strengthens us as we come to the table. He strengthens us so we can live in ways that are pleasing to him. We have received that call of the gospel, that effectual call, that that, that holy calling we now desire to pursue. But we are weak and we are frail. And so this morning we come to the table to be strengthened by nothing less than the body and blood of Jesus Christ by the one who has secured our salvation and the one who now the Spirit uses to strengthen us in our walk, in our life with him. The beauty of God's effectual call. A call planned before creation. A call that comes from the Father. A call to believe in the finished work of the Son. A call that that we need to hear over and over. That general call of the Gospel. Praying that God by His Spirit might apply that to our hearts, to our lives. That through His effectual call, we respond to Him in love. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are thankful to you for all the blessings of salvation. We have talked about the various facets of the atonement. And now as we think about the way in which you apply those things to us, we thank you for the call that we have received and that you gave us not just the general call of the gospel, but the effectual call. You accompanied the preaching of your word with the power of your spirit. Lord God, help us to respond in faith and in love and in devotion to you. Truly, we have been called to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of your purpose and your grace. Help us, Lord God, to respond to you in love and to live in a way that brings glory to you. Thank you for the helps you give us along the way. Thank you for the sacrament to strengthen us unto holy living. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you would like to take out your praise book in the back of that on page 45, there is the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. We will use that for our sacrament this morning. I'm going to begin reading where it says, Celebrating Our Salvation in Christ. Let us also consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, 
under which we should have perished eternally. That from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and of the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins. And afterward, he suffered countless insults so that we might never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe that he was innocent, yet put to death, that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment, and that he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself, so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross, when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, It is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, during the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, as a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness toward you. Because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death, I give you my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as this bread is broken before you and this cup is given to you, and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this holy supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He has also obtained for us the life-giving spirit, who dwells in Christ our head and enables us, who are his members, to have communion with him and be made partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same spirit, we are united as members of one body in true Christian faith. As the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. 
As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that he might show his love toward one, we might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the almighty, merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That we may obtain all these blessings, let us humble ourselves before God and with true faith implore him for his grace. Let's pray together. Merciful God and Father, we cherish the blessed memory of the death and suffering of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in this supper, you will so work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that with true confidence we might give up ourselves more and more unto your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this might allow our burdened and contrite hearts to be nourished and refreshed with the true body and blood of him who is true God and true man, the only heavenly bread. Empower us to no longer live in our sins, knowing that he lives in us and we in him. May we truly be partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace. May we not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, who does not impute the guilt of our sins to us, and who provides us with all that we need for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us also your grace, that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulation, with uplifted head, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. There he will make our mortal bodies like unto his glorified body, and take us to be with him in eternity. Answer us, O God, and merciful Father, through Jesus Christ, amen. By this holy supper, may we also be strengthened in the Catholic undoubted Christian faith, which we profess with heart and mouth. Let's all confess together the words of the Apostles' Creed, saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For those visitors who have requested permission, we welcome you to join us at the table of the Lord.
that we may be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread. Let us not cling with our hearts to external things like bread and wine, but lift up our hearts to heaven, where our advocate Jesus Christ is, at the right hand of his heavenly Father, where the articles of our Christian faith direct us. Let us not doubt that we shall be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood, through the working of the Holy Spirit, as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The bread which we break is a communion of the body of the Lord.
Take, eat, remember, and believe the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The cup of blessing which we bless is a communion of the blood of Christ.
Take, drink, remember, and believe the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name with thanksgiving. Let everyone say in his heart, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore, my mouth and heart shall show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. O oh, merciful God and Father, we thank you with all our heart that of your boundless mercy you have given us your only begotten Son for a mediator, the sacrifice for our sins, and as our food and drink unto life eternal. We also thank you that you give us a true faith, whereby we become partakers of these benefits. You have united us to Christ and to each other in the communion of saints. You have given your Son for us and to us, and have proclaimed his saving death to the whole world. Having signified and sealed the atoning sacrifice of your Son for us, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, also make us witnesses to this good news among our neighbors. Strengthen us in faith to live gratefully in this present age as we await our Savior's return in glory. In his name we pray, amen. Let's sing together from number 103E in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 103E, we'll be singing all five verses. Let's remain seated while the offering for the Benevolence Fund is received.
Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.